Tonight's episode of Nightmare University is brought to you by Fright Rags. Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, including slashers and cult classics. Coming May 12th, shopping will cost you an arm and a leg as Fright Rags releases its brand new collection for Chopping Mall, featuring four brand new t-shirts, all officially licensed and available at fright-rags.com. Nightmare University listeners can get 10% off when they use the code NIGHTMARE2020. Again, that is NIGHTMARE2020 for 10% off at fright-rags.com. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Fangoria. Fangoria's latest movie, Porno, is available now on demand. When five teen employees at a local movie theater in a small Christian town discover a mysterious old film hidden in its basement, they unleash an alluring succubus who gives them a sex education written in blood. See the movie some moms are calling not family-friendly at all. Porno is available on demand everywhere. And we're excited to welcome the Boulay Brothers to the Fangoria Podcast Network. Join horror hosts, producers, writers, and drag icons for their new show, Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night, on the Fangoria Podcast Network. On each episode, the Boulay Brothers welcome listeners to join them as they discuss the latest projects they're working on, share behind-the-scenes details from their hit show, The Boulay Brothers' Dragula, streaming now on Netflix, and more. Subscribe now and listen everywhere you get your audio content. Tonight's episode of Nightmare University is also brought to you by Severin Films. Severin Films presents the complete Umberto Lenzi Carol Baker Giallo Collection Blu-ray box set, including four Blu-rays, Orgasmo, So Sweet, So Perverse, A Quiet Place to Kill, and Knife of Ice, never before on disc in America, plus two CDs of soundtrack music from all four films, all starring Carol Baker and all directed by Umberto Lindsay. Orgasmo contains both the unrated director's cut and the U.S. release X-rated cut under the title Paranoia. Each disc comes with an exclusive video interview with the late, great Umberto Lenzi, plus audio commentaries from Italian genre film scholars. The complete Umberto Lenzi Carol Baker Giallo Collection six-disc box set is now available for pre-order from www.severin-films.com. Again, that's www.severin-films.com. Tonight's episode of Nightmare University is also brought to you by HouseOfMysteriousSecrets.com, your number one source for horror merchandise for 15 years running. They have everything, toys, apparel, soundtracks, comics, masks, hard-to-find collectibles, and much, much more. Their inventory caters to genre fans of all kinds, from classic monsters to 80s to B-movies to modern favorites. House of Mysterious Secrets ships worldwide and offers free shipping on all U.S. orders over $65. Where else can you find a Friday the 13th fanny pack, a John Carpenter record, a Suspiria t-shirt, a Monster Squad wallet, a Godzilla hat, and the latest issue of Fangoria all in one place? Head over to HouseOfMysteriousSecrets.com now to see it all for yourself. Good evening.
welcome to Nightmare University. I am your host, Dr. Rebecca McKendry. I hope everyone is doing okay out there in the midst of this pandemic and um, that everyone is, is still feeling okay and at least smiling and getting to watch some horror movies while they're staying at home. Tonight's topic is somewhat inspired by the news that we had last week. And this is apart from the pandemic. So in the middle of the pandemic, we also received this little tiny nugget of news that something called murder hornets were found in the American Northwest. And all of a sudden, the news media started going all over the place with it. And there were pictures of these giant bugs with these massive pinchers that could outrun cars and do all this crazy stuff. And I love bugs. I know it's weird. Okay, maybe it's not coming from me, but I absolutely love bugs. I am so fascinated about them. So for tonight's episode, we're going to focus on insects and horror, specifically a subgenre that I am calling insect horror. It does not currently exist, but maybe it will after this episode. Insect horror. And these are horror movies that are focused around insects. And there's a whole bunch of them, and they're all different. And we're going to talk about why they're important, why we as uh, humans are so scared to death of insects, and then kind of where uh, these are currently going, where we've been seeing most of these as of late. I'll start with my connection and where my fascination with bugs comes from. So I grew up in the hills of Virginia, deep in the mountains. Um, my family was all from southwestern Virginia, and then um, I spent most of my childhood along the Shenandoah River in kind of the northern parts of Virginia. And in both regions, there are all types of crazy bugs. It's deep in the mountains. There, there's definitely a good amount of rainfall, and you see a lot of bug activity. Growing up, it was not unusual to encounter ticks, leeches, uh, swarms of mosquitoes, spiders the size of a, a kind of like a coffee saucer. Um, it was just commonplace that you would see these kind of massive uh, wild insects that you may not find in other regions of the country. And even from a young age, I knew that insects in some capacity could pack a pretty mean punch. I'd been warned about leeches from a young age, and I was probably about eight, seven or eight by the first time I got a leech on me. And I was fascinated by it, but at the same time horrified and took me a second of looking at it before I finally hollered for my dad to come get it off me because I was too um, horrified to even touch it. I just sat there and l just stared at it, waiting to see if it would do something. Um, and I knew that spiders were pretty intense around the area. We didn't have a lot of black widows, but we did have a lot of brown recluses. And my first real notable fascination with insects came when I was in high school. By my sophomore or junior year of high school, my parents were finally starting to let me stay out late and uh, go places that were more in like a co-ed setting. And there was one weekend where a whole bunch of people were going camping in the woods up along the, the Front Royal area of the Shenandoah River. And um, there was probably 10 people, and my parents said I could go. We had to have a girl's tent, but um, I went. And we were there for the entire weekend. And on the last night we were there, my friend Emily looked at me at one point and said, there, there's a little brown spider on your face. And it was pretty small. And I brushed it off my face and did not think anything more of it that night. The next morning when I woke up, I had a massive welt on my face. 
um, it looked like a mosquito bite. It was red and it was angry and it's on, it was on my right cheek and it was pretty big. And I remember thinking that there was something really wrong with it. Like I'd had spider bites before and I'd had mosquito bites and I'd had ticks and leeches and um, a couple angry encounters with helgramites and bloodworms, but I had never had something that looked quite like this before. And it was our last day camping, so I went home, and my mom was really concerned about it. And I remember her making me ice it down, and she made me take Tylenol. And the next day was um, a Monday, and I was supposed to go back to school that day. And I got up that morning, and I remember looking at myself in the mirror in sheer horror because the massive welt on my cheek had turned brown is the only color I can describe it as. It was just like this dark magenta -y crimson brown color, this massive welt on my cheek. Immediately, mom threw me in the car and drove me to the hospital, determined that I had been bitten by some crazy infectious bug. And I got there and they told me that I had been bitten by a brown recluse. And it was in the middle of my right cheek. And they informed me that it was likely going to get a lot worse. And they gave me a bunch of shots, most likely an antivenom. And I remember they put me on antibiotics for a couple of weeks after. But they were right. It did get much worse. That sore was there for a while. And I missed a lot of school before I was willing to go back to school with that massive lesion on my face. Now, several decades later... I still have a scar on my right upper cheek. It's very small now. It's about the size of a pencil eraser, but I still have a deep divot from that brown recluse bite. That was when my fascination with bugs began. During that time when I was staying home from school for a couple of days trying to get rid of the massive spider bite on my face and make sure that, you know, I wasn't going to be deformed forever... I became obsessed with studying spiders. And for a few days straight, it was all I read about. This was the late 90s. We had very rudimentary internet. And I remember spending countless hours during this time sitting there with an ice pack on my cheek researching spiders. And my fascination continued to grow so much so that by the time I made it to college, I actually started out as an entomology major. I was double majoring in entomology and film my freshman year with plans of studying bugs and one day going to work for National Geographic. By the time second semester of my freshman year rolled around and I had to start taking a lot of organic chemistry classes, I realized that even though I was fascinated by bugs, I was not fascinated as much by the math and the chemistry that went along with them. So I quickly dropped bugs and picked up theater. I don't know what happened there or where that change happened, but I did enjoy it. But my fascination with bugs never stopped. And apparently, I'm not the only one. There are so many horror movies out there that focus on bugs of some type. Insects, spiders, centipedes, ticks, leeches. There are so many horror movies that cover the whole gauntlet of the insect world. So why is this? Well... Bugs scare the shit out of us, which is crazy because they're tiny and the majority of them cannot hurt us in any way. But for every 100 tiny little pill bugs that there are living in our yard, there is one murder hornet and that is enough to kind of rear up our imagination, send people, you know, on anxious trips of what could be, what could happen and then we get fear and we get horror movies. 
honestly, before murder hornets, we had killer bees. I remember killer bees vividly, and it was the same thing where they were all over the news, and they turned out not to be that big of a thing. Honestly, if we're going to be scared of some real-life bug, mosquitoes kill millions of people a year worldwide from malaria, dengue fever, and a whole host of other diseases. But mosquitoes do the best thing that a bug can do. We barely notice them. Mosquitoes have become so ingrained in our lives that we don't pay attention to them anymore. We just get a bite and we move on with our day. We might treat ourselves if we're going out in the woods where there might be a huge amount of them. But if you get a bite while you're in your backyard playing, you just go on with your day. They are that much ingrained in our lives, which I'll talk more about in a sec. Bugs dominate our phobias. Right up there at the top of the list of a lot of people's fears are arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders, and entomophobia, which is just the fear of insects. And for many people, even if it's not a deep-rooted psychological fear, they still give them panic attacks. If you are laying in bed in the middle of the night and you look up and see a spider on your ceiling, few people in the world will just go, huh, and roll over and go back to sleep. Most people will sit there and lie awake and have visions of this spider crawling up their nose or eating their face before they finally decide to do something about it, whether they do roll over and go back to sleep and have a rather restless night, or do they get up and find a shoe? Do they have a catch and release policy where they then try to figure out a way to relocate the spider outside without endangering themselves in any capacity? And so it makes total sense that some of our most common and prominent nightmares are all about being surrounded by insects, about being swarmed. Bugs infect not just the world in which we live. They infect our psyche and our fears as well. It's a learned fear. It's something that we pass on and you're going to pass it on to your kids and we're going to keep passing it on because they see how we respond to spiders and they see how we respond to bees and ticks and bed bugs and leeches. And these things are unpleasant and so it makes sense. But we have always had this kind of hatred of bugs. Even if we look back at the Bible, what do we hear about? Bugs are disease, they are plague, they are crop devastation. So we don't hear any much about how great bugs are, about how much we need them for pollination or breaking down matter or fertilizing soil. We hear about the horrible, horrible things they do. I've always thought that one of the biggest reasons that we fear bugs is simply that we can't empathize with them. It's their physical form. We cannot find empathy in their face in any way. We cannot see fear or sadness or pain or joy expressed as an emotion in their face. We might be able to see them wince if they're scared of us or if we're about to hint them or if they're in pain, but that's much more of a physical reaction. We can't see emotion. So I actually own a tarantula now. Her name is Buttercup. Actually, it's Princess Buttercup because I let my seven-year-old name her. And I have spent many, many hours watching Princess Buttercup. She is absolutely fascinating to watch. But I could not tell you a damn thing about this spider's personality. I can't talk to my dog, but I can look at my dog and I can know whether he is sad, whether he is happy, whether he wants to be pet, whether he just wants to be alone. Even a bird, I can look at and see some type of emotions. But looking at my spider, I have no idea what they are feeling. 
Expression and communication in the insect world is entirely different than anything that we can understand. And we tend to kind of even push emotion onto insects that do have big eyes that are almost human-like, like praying mantises. I have seen many mems talking about praying mantises being cute or having expressions, and it's just because they have bigger eyes and we're in some way able to read emotion within them, whether or not it's what the mantis is actually intending. Bugs also have practices that horrify us. Things that to us are so foreign, so alien, and so disgusting that the only reaction that we have is one of revulsion. And so we end up really confusing disgust with fear. If we think about things like flies that vomit out some of their prior food in order to eat their current food, ticks that shove their head into bloodstream so that they can get a quick meal, the bot fly, which lays its eggs in human and mammal skin, and then a few weeks later, this maggoty thing comes out. The fact that there's a particular type of mold that is able to possess ants and turn them into ant zombies and make them go up on top of leaves, and then the mold explodes out of their head and rains down on other ants, making more ant zombies. The shit that goes down in the insect world is so beyond our cognizant recognition that we don't even understand how this could be happening on the same planet that we exist on most of the time. And a lot of these insect practices work their way into horror films, sometimes with the insect and sometimes just as a practice. But it is perfect fodder for horror films. Another reason that we are scared to death of insects, they are largely unseen. You could be surrounded by dozens or more bugs at any given moment and never even notice. Fighting bugs is so much different from a fear of a bear or a lion or a werewolf where you can point at something and say that giant snarling thing over there. That is what I'm scared of. Bugs are surrounding us. They're around us all the time without us knowing it. They're always sneaking up on us. Usually, if you are scared of a bug, it is because you don't know it's there until it takes off running. And then, like that, it's able to disappear. How many spiders have you lost in your house? How many times have you seen a spider, and as soon as you go to get the wad of tissue paper to relocate it outside, or the shoe to smash it, it's gone? These creatures were made to hide. All of them come with an element of speed. And the ones that don't, we don't find scary. Butterflies, moths, snails, dragonflies, they do not haunt our brains the way that centipedes or spiders do. It is all about speed and the sheer ability to be right next to us without us ever even knowing they are there. Bugs also hold a lot of symbolism in humans. We've come to view them as unclean, of symbols of dirt, and certainly some of them are unclean. My fascination with bugs quickly ended when I moved to New York City, and suddenly roaches became something that was just commonplace, that you just kind of had to deal with. They were in the subways, they were in your office building, they were in elevators, they were in the laundry rooms, they were everywhere. If you were lucky, you could keep them from coming into your apartment, but they were just something that you had to deal with. Throughout history, lice have been something that is associated with uncleanliness or dirtiness. They're not. Any parent will tell you that they got a letter when their child was in third grade that pointed out that it didn't matter how often you washed your kid's hair, they could still get lice. And you quickly realize it has nothing to do with cleanliness or dirtiness. But that said, you've always had that association with lice. 
And lice are another bug that just makes your skin crawl to think about, to think about something in sheer volume infesting your head and sucking your blood. And right now, my scalp is itching just thinking about it. So that's another one that we really kind of associate with dirtiness and uncleanliness. And many bugs represent death to us. Maggots, the death's head moth, the death click beetle. And this makes total sense because at the end of the day, bugs are what happens to us when we cease to exist. When everything that we know and love in our physical corporeal form is gone forever, there are bugs. And this frightens us so much that bugs could eat our dead bodies that we burn our own bodies rather than facing the option of being devoured by insects. Bugs also have the ability to dominate by numbers. They swarm. There are hives. There are spider babies bursting out. There are ants. There are drones, there's infestations. And because of this, we also have a fear of bodily invasion with bugs. This is a fear of penetration, which is really kind of what a lot of horror movies, you know, kind of come down to. It's the fear of being stabbed, the fear of being shot, the fear of some monster ripping our innards out, the fear of our bodies being kind of ripped in twain and penetrated, not in a sexual way, which is a grossly antiquated Freudian notion, um, much more in the notion of, I just don't want a worm hanging out of my arm. But since the majority of horror movies all boil down to that idea of not wanting to have our bodies ripped open and penetrated in some capacity, many of the insects that we fear the most have some capacity to burrow into our bodies or drink our fluid, our lifeblood in some capacity. And that horrifies us so much so that we even think up other bugs that could potentially do this as well, which I'll talk about in a sec when we dive into movies. But first, let's look at the history of insects and scary stories. Our dislike of insects has always been in literature, from horseflies and mosquito appearances and ancient Greek stuff to Shakespeare. The Bible features an assortment of plague flies and locusts, all representing death and the apocalypse. Sometimes they're positive. Bees are usually viewed as industrious and hardworking. Crickets are sometimes viewed as lucky historically. And butterflies usually represent beauty and change. But the majority of historical literature shows bugs as being unpleasant, as being alien, and as being unrelatable. We see the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland being very off-putting and difficult to communicate with. As we move into early science fiction novels in the 1800s, we see bugs turning into giants in stories like Food of the Gods and Empire of the Ants. One of the first appearances of our fear of insects on film happens in 1896, right at the start of film. George Miles makes a movie called A Terrible Night about a guy who wakes up in a bed and finds a massive bug climbing his wall. He immediately gets up and freaks out and starts attacking it with a broom before he stashes the bug's corpse in a chamber pot and goes back to bed. And this is one of our first fears portrayed cinematically. 
Um, the bug is even giant. It's not a real bug in any capacity. But again, it is embodying our fear. It's not a real spider. It is the spider that our brain perceives, the massive one that is going to eat our face in our sleep. In 1912, we have a very bizarre film called The Cameraman's Revenge, which comes out of Russia. It's stop-motion animation, and the filmmaker uses dried insects from a whole variety of species to act out scenes around a cityscape. It's amusing, and it's cute, but there's also this really stark moments of just kind of um, provocative kind of disgust with it, where you're seeing the way that these insects are moving close up in this very kind of rudimentary filming style there's there's definitely a kind of weird disconnect that happens with it it's fascinating to watch i highly recommend it then in 1929 we have salvador dali and his film anshan andalu which definitely is nightmare fuel and really kind of using a lot of imagery about what human nightmares are we see a woman's eyeball getting slashed open but one of the most kind of unsettling moments is we see a woman holding her hand out and there is a hole in it and there's ants pouring out of it. And that for me was more disorienting and shocking than the eyeball slashing. Um, it was just a really upsetting image. And what Salvador Dali was doing in this film was really playing around with the surrealism of nightmare imagery, of using a lot of nightmares. So it makes total sense that he's going to have bugs penetrating flesh in there. Throughout the 30s and 40s, bugs make subtle appearances, mostly a set deck. We see them in Dracula's home, we see them in cribs, we see them in spider webs, and they kind of symbolize death and filth in the background of all of these movies up until the 1950s. And then in the 1950s and 60s, they reign in science fiction. Teens flood the drive-ins, and indie horror and science fiction become kind of the go-to genres at these drive-ins. At the same time, the fear of atomic weapons is surging and also our fear of outsiders, be they alien or Russians, all of it's growing, this kind of general fear that something is happening, that we have a lot to be scared of from everything outside of us, aliens, everything foreign to us, and we've got this growing atomic stash. Oftentimes in these films, we're testing atomic weapons and we irradiate bugs and therefore they grow to giant proportions or mutate. Sometimes the bugs come from other places. They come from other worlds. They come from alien landscapes. They come from the sea and they invade a seemingly great American way of life. In 1954, we get the movie Them, where we drop atomic weapons on ants and they grow to epic proportions. Them was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Special Effects, and it's really cool to watch today as well. In 1955, we get Tarantula about giant tarantulas. We get The Fly in 1958, the monster that challenged the world in 57, Earth versus the Spider in 58, Attack of the Giant Leeches, the Black Scorpion. Essentially, during this time, if we could make it bigger and fiercer and an affront to science and the American way of life, we did it in the 1950s and 60s. Now, in the 1970s, these films and our fascination with insects continues, but it becomes part of a growing trend. And this is the nature runs amok trend, or kind of the when animals attack trend. There was a whole bunch of these in the 1970s about everything from grizzlies to sharks to lions. And of course, bugs make a very, very big step in there as well. 
We see films like Squirm, Phase 4, Kingdom of the Spiders, Empire of the Ants, and Bug. But what is interesting about these movies that makes them a lot different from what we were seeing in the 1950s is that they're more violent and more graphic, but that's standard for most of the films of the 1970s. But in the 1970s bug movies, they're not all giant creatures, but they instead attack in numbers. They use much more of kind of the bug's natural state and use that as a way to show their defenses. So in phase four, it focuses much more on the ants' sheer numbers, on their organizational skills, on their intelligence, on how they can work in unison, whereas humans can never do that, and that they have sheer numbers that completely decimate the humans. And because of that, they are able to get the upper hand. So I find it really fascinating but that by the 1970s, we were far more interested in kind of the naturalistic state of insects, of how they could naturally defeat us. We still have some massive bug movies in the 1970s, but the majority of them are not necessarily over the top. They're bugs in their normal state doing what bugs do, and it's more of our realization that they have the upper hand in some capacity. By the time we get into the 80s, all of that naturalistic shit goes out the window, and the big focus becomes special effects. David Skull, in his book, The Monster Show, refers to the 1980s as the Scar Wars, where special effects uh, makeup artists were just battling back and forth to see who could make things bigger, crazier, more realistic, and goopier. And that is how we see all of the bug films that come out in the 1980s land. They were all about making it big and crazy and cringeworthy. We see The Fly. We see They Nest, Creep Show phenomena, all of these are about just being crazy and over the top and letting the special effects reign. In that, the fly is in no way realistic, but does pull a lot from science. The same happens in they nest, creep show, and even in phenomena. So it's kind of using a little bit of the 1970s naturalism, but really pushing it as far as you can to create something different. As we enter into the 1990s, we still have this fascination with bugs, and we still see them a little bit in 90s movies, not nearly as much as we did in the 50s and 70s. But because it was the trend in the 90s for the majority of horror to be action horror with big explosions and massive crazy sequences, that is where most of the bug horrors of the 1990s also fall. We see Ticks, a.k.a. Infested, a movie I have a dear love for. It um, features a group of kids who go camping in the woods and uh, local cannabis farmers have been using steroids on their marijuana plants, which causes the tick population to grow to epic proportions. And it is an absolute blast with really impressive tick effects done by KMB. We also have Mimic, which focuses on genetically modified bugs known as Judas bugs that are in New York City and kind of grow to human-sized proportions and start taking over the city. But one of my favorite is Starship Troopers because this combines a lot of elements that I love about bug horror. One, it has the sheer numbers element where we see these kind of drone bugs just attacking in sheer numbers. Then we also have the smart bugs. We have the bugs that are infecting people that are kind of raining all of these bug eggs down on different lands that are trying to release these kind of spores that propagate their species forward. 
And of course, how do the brain bugs gain knowledge? They insert a proboscis into your brain and drain you. The movie is definitely a satire. It is looking at how kind of these bugs are just doing what bugs do, but our instinct as humans is to just attack, to not try to reason with them, to not try to, you know, figure out what they're doing or why they're doing it. It's just they are not like us and therefore we kill them. And so the movie is really kind of looking at that element satirically. But at the same time, it's just a kick-ass film. It's got amazing action sequences. The effects are phenomenal. And if you have not revisited Starship Troopers in the past couple of years, I highly recommend it. As we move into the 2000s and even through today, the majority of bug movies that are being made are being made for TV and are kind of viewed as B-movie fodder. We have our entire collection of science fiction bug films. And I have to confess, I love these. I will watch leeches and ice spiders and all types of camel spiders and stuff like that attack forever and love it. But I really do miss kind of big, big budget bug stuff. I do have to give some props to Slither which is not technically a bug film, but definitely had a lot of the same qualities of bug film and was really kind of pulling from that along with um, Night of the Creeps when they were creating the little slug creature slithering around. Um, there's a lot of kind of bug movie love buried in that film. But with the bug films that we are seeing on screen today, and I'm going to count down some of my 10 favorite deep cuts in just a sec, what we are seeing now is um, kind of in two ways. Either they are giant and they are eating Cincinnati, or they are small and they're attacking in a swarm. They are always hyper-intelligent, and whenever we have bugs on screen, they're always man-eaters. They're always in some way trying to take down humans. Now, a big one that I did not mention as I was kind of creeping through the history of bugs on film, because I consider it to kind of be the godfather of bugs on film movies, is arachnophobia. Arachnophobia does everything that a bug movie needs to do. It gets us a brand new species. It inserts it into an unsuspecting population. It somehow starts with the sheer numbers. We see them growing to insane proportions. And then it gives the bugs emotion. Watch the final scene of arachnophobia. You see the spider thinking. It shows POVs from the spider's perspective, making you relate to him. It does everything a bug movie needs to. It brings intelligence to them. It brings swarming. And they, for some reason, are attacking all humans. I love arachnophobia so much. So if you take one thing from this, go rewatch arachnophobia. It's just a wonderful film. But that said, there are many wonderful bug films. So I'm going to end this episode with 10 bug deep cuts that you should not miss. The first one up is Slugs. I have long said that um, if I am known for one thing upon my deathbed, it is going to be that I convinced hundreds of thousands of people to watch the movie Slugs. I love this movie so much. It is definitely kind of an elevated version of a B-bug movie. One of my favorite Spanish directors, Jean-Pierre Simon, and it is just fun with really good effects. Next up is The Thaw. This is one that I thought was going to be more of a B-movie, but I really did enjoy it about a group of scientists and students who are at the North Pole investigating a woolly mammoth carcass and outcrawls a bug species that has been extinct. 
um, since the time of the woolly mammoth, and it is one that crawls into skin and roots itself in you and then kind of bursts out. This is a crazy, creepy, crawly movie. Um, the effects are digital. They may not be as good now as I remember them being from a couple of years ago, but it's really a fun film, and it moves fast. Next up is a questionable bug film, but I'm including it, and this is 2006's Bug. This movie is much more about psychology and PTSD, but the PTSD roots itself in a military veteran who is in a desert motel determined that the military has infected him with bugs and that he has tiny insects crawling under his skin and he's kind of embodying paranoia about the bugs through the entire thing. This is um, directed by William Friedkin, the same guy who did The Exorcist. And so it is incredibly well done. Also has Ashley Judd in it and just across the board, a top-notch movie with some amazing gut-wrenching scenes. Next up is Eight-Legged Freaks. Just an absolute blast. The guy who directed Eight-Legged Freaks actually did a bug movie before he did Eight-Legged Freaks. Um, but Eight-Legged Freaks is, is just a fun tour de force of spider movies. Next up on my deep cut bug horror list is They Nest, and this one is from 2000. Um, this one is a made-for-TV movie and another one that kind of shocked me. It's set in Maine, and a ship that is traveling um, to the main port explodes and releases all of these cockroaches all over the place, but they can infect human bodies and lay eggs inside of humans, and so it starts really infecting the island. The next one is The Hive from 2008. This one is sheer B-movie cheeseball fun about a nest of ants that kind of gain a, a higher level of intelligence and take on world domination. It is just a blast across the board. Then moving on to the aforementioned Ticks, which I definitely consider a must-see bug horror Blue Monkey is up next. This is an 80s bug movie. This one is really hard to find about a bug that infects a hospital ward. Amazing effects in this. For some reason, this one has never really had a release past the initial VHS release. And so if you can find this, I highly recommend checking out Blue Monkey. And the last two on my list are um, pretty contemporary. Stung is just from a couple of years ago about um, a swarm of giant, I mean massive, massive wasps attacking a garden party. And then last one is another questionable bug horror, but I'm putting it in, is the bay. And I'm putting this one in because even though that the uh, creatures in the bay are technically more of arthropods, um, they function like bugs, they infest like bugs, and they crawl into your skin. And on that note, many of the creatures that we kind of think of as, as bugs are actually closer to lobsters and crabs. Like, for instance, pill bugs are actually crustaceans, much more like what you're going to see in the bay. They're kind of like, you know, giant pill bugs burrowing into people's skin. It's an absolute blast, super gory, and really cringy. Highly recommend checking it out. I wanted to end this exploration into insect horror by kind of reflecting on how we view bugs. And specifically, I wanted to quote one of my favorite X-Files episode, The War of the Coprophages. To quote the episode, the development of our cerebral cortex has been the greatest achievement of the evolutionary processes. Big deal. 
We're allowing us the thrills of intellect or the pangs of self-consciousness. It is all too often overruled by our inner instinctive brain, the one that tells us to react, not reflect, to run rather than ruminate. We fear bugs because they're so alien to us. So what this quote and the episode as a whole are saying is that we fear bugs because they're so alien to us. And so our primitive brains force us to smash. They force us to run. They force us to evade them and to be terrified of something that we don't understand. And because of this, we're prone to squish rather than try to be compassionate, to try to view things from the perspective of the bug. But from the perspective of the bug, what type of species are we? Humans think we run the world. We determine the environment around us, and we control the frequency. We assume that we are the ones making all the advancements in the world. But look around. No matter how much you have tried to shut insects out, they are all around us. They're stealthy, advanced beyond our control. And even though that the murder hornets may not actually be anything to irrationally fear, and they're not about to eat Cincinnati, they do make us realize who is actually making all of the advancements here. But for now, I'll just patiently wait for the first murder hornet-themed horror movie. The clock is ticking, sci-fi. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we're going to have an office hours next week, and then I'll be taking a short mid-season two-week break, and then we'll be back with another four episodes of Nightmare University and office hours after that. Thanks, and stay safe. is a Fangoria Podcast Network original produced and hosted by Rebecca McKendry, producer Natasha Pacetta, executive producers Dallas Saunier and Phil Nobile Jr., associate producer Jessica Safa-Vemer, art and design by Ashley Detmering, sound recording design and mixing by David McKendry, music by The Serpentines, for Fangoria, Brandon Moynerdi, Jason Koslerich, and Rachel Wilson.